1: some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission at betdac we wanted to change the way we did things so we set our commission at two percent permanently that's two percent on football horse racing golf almost any sport two percent that's just one way that betdac is changing for the better for the better like you betdac the two percent commission exchange
0: over 18s only, please gamble responsibly.
2: Welcome to the Roger Rapport podcast. We have a special edition today. We've got former Swansea, most importantly former Ooh, Sunderland, Swansea, like and former Republic of Ireland International, Thomas Butler. How are you doing, you all? How's it going? Good, good. Hanging in there. I was thinking, do I go Tommy or do I go Thomas doesn't matter. It really. doesn't matter. Does it? Yeah.
0: Tom? It's a podcast, isn't it? You can, any, anything goes. Tommy. i got Tommy. by
2: the Wikipedia page. Is yeah. that Thomas? Oh, is it? Yeah. There <laughs> yeah, we are. So I'm not very good at icebreakers normally, but I've got a bit of word association. So the first word or the first sentence that comes into your mind when I say this person's name. So Niall Quinn. Legend. Kevin Phillips.
0: Super Kev, I'm thinking.
2: That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. Howard Wilkinson. Most bornest man ever. <laughs> Peter Reed. Hard as nails. Bobby Saxton. Unbelievable character. Mick McCarthy. Honest. Brendan Rogers. Uh, very intelligent. George McCartney.
0: Angriest man ever.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't have expected that, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. But... Oh, George would fight anybody, him. Oh. So. I was looking obviously through I mean I I'm I'm thirty two, so I remember the entirety of your time at Sunland, to yeah. be honest. It was like right in my prime. I remember obviously you had a really good youth career over yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. I think you won was it under fifteen player of the year or something. I did, like yeah, that? yeah. International. Yeah. And then you got signed by Sunland about I wanna say ninety seven. Yeah. Yeah. So just talk me through sort of the process of how it happened and how a club, a premiership club, brings over like a young lad from Ireland. Did you speak to Reedy directly or was it the youth team scouts? How does that come about?
0: Yeah, well they have scouts. Um like the main thing as a as a young lad is playing international football. And you think if you if I get into the under fifteens, that's when all the scouts come and watch games. So that's a, that's the big, big goal as a as a as a youth team player uh, back in Ireland. And I think Pop Robson it was It was fantastic at the time. Him and Jim Hagan came over, watched the game, You know, said, look, we like him, we like the look of this player. Uh, made a phone call, I went over on trial and I kind of went from there, really. You know, That's it, really. How long was the trial for? It was a week. So it was a week on trial. I think I had trials as well at I think Aston Villa, um, West Ham as well, but Southern was the first club I came to. Um, I'd done quite well on my trial as well. Uh, Pop liked me I liked the, the training ground Everything about it was fantastic um, So that was it really from there As soon as I came back They rang up And said look we'd like to offer you a contract It was like an apprenticeship And uh, I think it was like a, a one year pro contract So it was I think it came down to me Not the most academic of people Not the best in school So this is what you always wanted to do And, and especially a club like Sunderland You were thinking "Yeah, I don't really need to go to Aston Villa Or West Ham so that was it. Mine made up and that, and that was it.
2: Was there any other... the Because there was quite a few Irish lads at the same time. I remember throwback here by players like Brendan McGill. Yeah, Cliffy uh, Bourne and Cliff Bourne. Shane Hart. There
0: was, yeah, there was lots. Yeah, Did I they think. come
2: over with you at the same time or were they already yeah, at the club? I think
0: I think that made things a, a bit easier as well. So I think we probably signed, you know, I think with the three of us, it was Cliff, Brendan McGill, myself, and then the, the lads from the north, um, George McCartney. So we had a good blend of lads as well. So it was... That, that helps with the transition of a young player when they go away as well if if you have a bit of familiarity you know what I mean so yeah, it was
2: really good 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 team spirit good crack So you had Pop Robson was the scout at the time um, but at what point in that um, t- transition from sort of doing the trial to going over does Peter Reed come in like get involved because I'm guessing that because I think you were what 17, 18 mm. at that time Yeah I was about 17 I think Yeah Yeah so, when does Reedy come in? Like, when does Reedy have a chat with you? Does that happen or does that happen? It does, after? yeah, a
0: little bit. I mean, if, if they want to sign you as a U team player and they're impressed with you, it, it, it literally goes like that. You know, Peter Reed will come and have a chat with you, introduce himself to you. And obviously, you know, you're starstruck. You're like, wow, Peter Reed spoke to you. Yeah. I can't believe this, you know. So, uh, I think when that happened, it was a no brainer, really. He was like, you know, very friendly. Everyone's very fr- they They always are when you want to sign, don't get me wrong. Everyone's yeah. friendly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I think. For him, then it's as soon as you sign, you're with the U team. Then it's your job. Then, right? I need to, I need to do me stuff here. I need to impress. I need to get into the reserves, and I need to push into the first team. Then, and, and hopefully he'll take notice. And that's what you're hoping for, really. Who was your manager then? Was it Sabresia? It was Pop and Rick, but they were, uh, okay. I mean, they were fantastic. I mean, that's, I mean, the, I remember the training. <clears throat> the training was, you know, for I was 16 probably when I first came, nearly 17, I'd say. Actually, no, yeah, 17. But the training—I know—I used to just come in and sleep. I was in, you know, agony. I mean, the yeah. fitness levels required in the U team were phenomenal. They really were. It was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You were out after training, and the the standard—I you know mean—you just ran. You ran sometimes till you puked. You know, it was <laughs> it was military stuff yeah. in the afternoons, but necessary to the way. You know, it, it was literally like the way they wanted to play in the intensity they wanted to play at. You had to be super fit. Yeah. so that was a sledgehammer to your body at that age you know really was but um, unbelievable you know after a few weeks I was I was calling home to my, my parents and I was saying man they're all crazy over here I said we just run all day and you know and she's like look you're an apprentice you know you'll get used to it your body will adapt and all the rest of it so um, really enjoyed it with the U team you know it's Pop Robson was fantastic, he used to just trust players, he liked technical type players, let them play, let them play, he didn't overcoach, it wasn't robotic or anything yeah. like that. And that's why I think we were so successful in the U team, because he let us play. You know, it was you know, the midfielders and strikers, he, he would sit back and let you do what you needed to do, and only major incidents, he'd, he'd, he'd have an input. But other than that, we were all, we were all young internationals, you know, so we kind yeah. of... We had a strong, really strong eleven. Really did, you know?
2: It was. It was. It was a really good team. Like I was saying before, like I sort of remember that year, and it was uh, McCartney was the one I think that made sort of the first real breakthrough. Yeah. But what was? I mean, nowadays you hear a lot about our academy and the academy of light, and yeah, obviously it's a really impressive facility. That's unbelievable. Um,
0: yeah.
2: But what was it like back in those days? Because I remember the, I think a few. Charlie. Early. Charlie early. Oh, yeah. That's great.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously, we had the, nowhere near the the standard of what it is now, but you know, you had, the, you had the three porter cabins so you had the, the U team the reserves and the first team all separated but I think the atmosphere was fun it was brilliant so we were all kind of so, so close we were all together so you can imagine the stick and the banter between yeah. all the groups you know was brilliant and I, I think that was a uh, you know even us in the U team our U team were that strong you know we, we'd tell the grounds well, look we need to pitch ward you know 11 o'clock and as, as young lads, having the balls to even say that as an apprentice, you were thinking, "Oh, I'm in trouble here. But, you know, we were that good. We wanted to pitch ward because our, our passing game, We were that's what we were all about. And I think credit to Pop, Pop was probably 15 years ahead of what he was doing now. If you, if you look at the way the counter-attacking teams play fast and flowing football and all yeah. the rest of it, we were doing that in the U team. But it was just typical kind of the Sunderland thing. The U team would play different to the reserves the reserves then would play different to the first team but we were still successful like in each kind of group I just think really all the different coaches ran their own sections really well you know they are really good
2: It's funny I spoke to Chris Macon about that sort of era and he was saying like because I was talking about um, why the success was so big in the first team around that time like 99-2000 and he was saying if you look it wasn't just us like all of the teams were successful each like the reserve team was top of the league the youth team was top of the league and stuff like that but was there like an ethos? Were you kind of built to be ready for like the way that Peter Reid played or did you all have your own... We we all
0: played, it was all individual. Like the U team would play completely different to the first team, as as I said, and sometimes you'd line up, you'd play the first team on a Friday in a practice match and we'd sometimes pass them off the pitch, you know, and then you'd, you'd get one or two, Bali or something like that, you'd be late and he'd nail and attack them. Yeah. just to say, right, I'm not letting these... Even though it was just shape, really, you know? yeah, But really was you know he had his way of playing but he still he'd watch us in the U team as well and he loved that type of way we played but I think really he was a pragmatist as well he look these are the players I have in this squad I'd love to go out and play like Barcelona but if I don't have the players to do it I'm not going to do it And just for the sake of being a you know a Puritan and say oh well, we lost 4-0 but we played great yeah. really was just was all about results and you know, here you go. I mean, it speaks for itself, really, in the first few years in the Premier League,
2: how well he did, really, you know? No, most definitely. Uh You mentioned Borley before. Yeah, um, brilliant. Yeah. Great, great bloke. Yeah. And I think um w- one thing I found quite interesting is, obviously, Borley went into doing the coaching for the yeah. team and stuff like that. And yeah. I think um from... The conversations that he's had with a few of the fanzines and the interviews he's done you realise how much of a close-knit bond he has with people but mm. from your experience was there anyone in the first team that as a youth team player before you broke in you could sort of approach for advice and you felt like you could sort of sort of lean on as a senior pro?
0: Yeah I think like I mean they were all really good you know in, but Niall Quinn obviously was was there when I was there and he was very good with the Irish lads, myself yeah. Cliffy and Shane Hart, Brendan McGill he'd take us out sometimes and you know, bring us over to his house. He had the stables, horses, and all out the back, and he brings us to Sedgefield races. And you know, you don't get that a lot now. It's it, they're so separate now. The U teams are for, like, you ask most first team now, say name some of the U team players, and he couldn't name them. They just, yeah. they're so separated. Um, I'm not probably, I don't know really a son, but generally they're separated. But Quinny was fantastic. It was one of those where he, he would see that sometimes you get a bit homesick or you get a bit down, and he'd just say, "Right lads, come on." You know, we're going to the races, I'll bring you out and, you know, get us a few pints and all the rest, of it, even though probably, you know, we shouldn't have. But really good from that perspective of just, look, it, it's going to get really tough. Your apprenticeships are hard. Like two years, you just do jobs. You're on 42 quid a week, you're broke. You know, you, you're looking to pay a day, you get 160 something pound a month and you're like, mm-hmm. I'm broke after two days here, like I'm struggling. Um, but it's, it's kind, of, kind of one of those where, I mean, that that's you know it's a massive privilege just to be offered even that chance. So when you do get it, you, you're looking at you're like, look if I work really hard here, if I do the business, and a manager sees me on the next pitch, a really, Asacco, you know they, they, they used to walk around the pitches sometimes, and you knew they were watching. You know, so you you kind of always knew that. You felt as if you're asked, someone, if you're good enough, they'll give you a chance. Whereas at some clubs, like at Newcastle, for example, the track record of youth players is horrendous. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's I'd never send a young lad there. I mean, a little bit, probably tiny little bit better now, that long staff, young kid, doing, yeah, doing well for them. Yeah, just But there's probably good players there, but they're so separate there, they're just not interested. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It doesn't look like it is. But as Sunland always, if they're good enough, right, we'll throw them in and it sink or swim, see if they're good enough, you know, which is great. Yeah,
2: massively. And I think yeah. when we played the, uh, when we played their under-21 team the other yeah. week, there was literally no players that I knew on their side. Yeah. And, it's, it's and they batted them as well, turn. didn't they? I mean, it yeah. was, and,
0: and that's that's the problem, I think. Under-21s, under-23 football, it's very hard. I feel sorry for some of them. It's it's the, the gulf and the gap between under-23s and even like League Two is massive. So you could be a Premier League under-23 team and think, oh, I'm a player, I'm decent. You know, you go and play against a League Two team against fully grown, strong men who have been through the leagues, been around, you know, clubs good experience as young lads and just filter down the leagues they're clever they're good players so there's good players in those leagues Yeah, you know so I think it's a it's a wake up call it's a big shock to the system for a, for a lot of players because you can get I did it I did it too long and I played probably four seasons in the reserves and I shouldn't have I should have done two and if I wasn't going to play in the first team I should have just left because yeah. you know that's you're a young lad and you, you can get too comfortable players can get too comfortable and think oh it's a cushy number here I'm captain of the reserve team which means nothing in, re- in reality yeah. you know you, if you speak to a manager in League 2 and say you know I want to come play for you and he says well how many games have you played league football and you say none but I've played 200 reserve games he says I don't care Yeah, I want someone who's played League 2 football who knows the league so I feel a bit sorry for them as well at the same time it's my advice to any young player just if you can get out on loan young play one maybe two seasons up the most in the 23s and if you can go
2: on loan and play against men do it as quick as possible because like so Jordan Henderson yeah he went out he I think he was only one or two seasons and, and he wasn't even that yeah. highly rated at that point and yeah. then he went to Coventry and he came back just totally different bloke yeah. Martin yeah. Waghorn's forged yeah. a great career although yeah. not at Sunderland yeah. and not as high level as Henderson yeah Jordan Pickford. What eight or nine loans you yeah. had or something like that That's brilliant you have to do it I went on loan to Darlington I
0: remember Peter E called me in the office and there was no, no discussion he's like you're going to fucking Darlington <laughs> he said you're, you're ready you're going down there and it was no choice it was, I think it was 18 uh, Gary Bennett was there he was the manager and um, Monty Monty was the assistant manager so two son of the legends obviously Yeah. so when I went in I uh, skinny this was all division 3 at the time so I was like Three times less weight than I have now. Obviously, I was the skinniest man ever, and I was playing centre mid in Division Three, 18 with Martin Gray. he used to play for some. Oh, Martin
2: Gray, yeah, that's a. And back. that was a
0: wake-up call. Like, oh my <laughs> God, that like the tackles flying about. There was no yellow cards and none of this type of stuff. It was, and I think Reedy said send them down there to get to toughen them up. Which he was right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, like lessons learned. You're up at Sunderland. Everything's done for you. Kit's nice, and everything nice. Training out the grass is beautiful. Down at Darlery we train on a cricket pitch, you know, and the pitch wasn't the best. And, uh, you know, you had to wash your own kit. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, how the hell do you wash kit? So you, had to, you had to take the kit home. Like, suddenly it's all done for you. You have two yeah. sets if you want, you know, it was great. So I remember going, to, going down there and <clears throat> probably the first day you train and I took my kit off and I just threw it in the, in the middle of the ground. That's what you do. And the kit yeah. man takes it. And Martin Gray comes on. He says, what the fuck do you think you're doing?
2: Well,
0: I said, what? He <laughs> said, uh, is it, where's the kit man? He's not going to. He said, kit man. He said, you're not a Sunderland now, you little spoiled shit. I probably, probably had a go at me, but not in a bad way. just kind of, he's probably winding yeah. me up more than anything else. And he said, listen, he said, you've got to take that home, wash it. And I was thinking, I don't even know how to work a washing machine. I was thinking, hell, <laughs> it was like that personal advert when the guy's spilling out all the, all the stuff and he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, yeah. I was literally like that. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So uh, the, the jersey, I remember the training kit was red and the shorts were white. So I put them all in together. So and it's a pink strip. Yeah, So I come in the next day, the lad slaughtering me, hammering me, saying, look at him, spoiled, come from Sunderland, doesn't even know how to work a washing machine and all the rest of it. So even at that young age of 18, you learn and you look back, you laugh your head off and think, what an idiot, like, do you know what I mean? So, But anyway, I done, I done all right there. Um, I was quite small, so when it got tough in the mid, middle of the park, Martin Gray used to say, butts, get out to the wing. And he used to just roll his sleeves up and just run around smashing people. Yeah, yeah, literally. Now, he was a good player, not just that, but just when it got tough in those leagues, you had to throw some you had to just put your weight around it. And I was I would say a technical, skillful type player then. So yeah. I used to just do my damage then on the wings. And then when I came back, um Reedy really called me. I was training with the I think it was the U team, probably. Was it probably reserves a U U team? I Reedy really shouted out, Come over here, you I was thinking, Oh shit, what have I done? I'm in trouble here. He's normally that type of voice. And he said, Look, um, we have Chelsea tomorrow at home. He said you're on the bench. He said, So are you ready? I fucking shit myself. Like I was thinking, what? Chelsea like Premier League. I couldn't believe it. Is that the 4-1? Yeah, it was when Kev Phillips scored up cracker. Oh, yeah. So I was on the bench and I was, you know, I couldn't believe it. I was just thinking, wow, like, you know, as a young kid, you think, well, this is it. I wanted to always play in the Premier League. My oh, did. that yeah. was as well. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. So you know, I obviously, I was on the bench and just doing a warm-up and obviously the stadium was unbelievable and I was just looking around the place just in, more of like a fan almost. I was just couldn't believe it. You're just yeah. thinking, two years ago back in Dublin, you know, thinking, shit, what, what, what am I going to do? and shit in school, I don't know what to do. And then two years later, you're on the bench against Chelsea, you know, one of the best stadiums in the country. You know, it's, it's you have to give your head a shake sometimes as well. Uh, and I think obviously, yeah, we won that game. Then afterwards, I think there was... High win bonuses, then I think it was something like five grand a win for yeah. everyone in the squad, you know. So, I mean, I was probably on about <laughs> three or four hundred quid a week at the time. So, when we won that game, I got a five grand bonus. Yeah, I remember Bobby Saxton come in, he was like, Tommy, yeah, he was like, five grand. So, what are you gonna do with five <laughs> grand? And I was thinking, it might as well have been 50 million to me. Yeah, I was thinking, this is unbelievable, five grand. I was like, straight to the bank machine checking I'd never seen five grand in an account before, you know, I just couldn't believe it. Um, but that was kind of like just, you know, the, it, was, it was an unbelievable time then. It was just, that yeah. was going out in Darlington on loan. It was kind of really giving you a bit of respect to say, you didn't ask any questions. You didn't answer back. You just did as you are told. I like that. And that's your reward. So I think really was really good that way. He was fair, he was strong. He, you know, he'd let you know exactly where you stood. And I think, as a player, you love that in a manager. There's nothing worse than having a manager who speaks in riddles and can't tell you you're either shit or you're good enough or yeah. we don't want you. Go see your agent, get out of here. I used to love those. Those were my favourite managers. You know, it's the ones that... You, you don't know, know where you stand. You play Saturday, you'd be brilliant and then the next squad you'd be left out and then there'd be no explanation or nothing like that and you'd
2: be thinking, it you this that book's prove a on.
0: psychopath I'm dealing with here. So they're... Those are the ones that were really hard to deal with, but um, really was brilliant on that. No, you knew what the boundaries were. He told you what they were. If you overstepped them, you got up. You got nailed, which yeah. is great. So and again, it didn't complicate anything. You know, it was not, not rocket science, what he was trying to do. Be on time, work hard, do basics right. If you fall outside those parameters, you won't be here. Yeah. That's it.
2: And it cut quite a few times, didn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, of course it
2: did, yeah. Now, that was 99-2000 season, I think. Now, I could be wrong, because my memory's getting <coughs> sketchy, but I am a bit of an encyclopedia. Well. <laughs> yeah, Walsall was your debut in the Cup. Yeah, yeah. How? I mean, I remember it was quite a, a small attendance, and it was just. Yeah. I think it was just before that Chelsea game. Yeah. That was, I think it was Worthington Cup, it was called then. Dewarding the cup, the yeah. Worthington yeah. Cup, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But how does, I mean, from a fan side, a, a League Cup game's a League Cup game, you expect to see some of the French players, maybe mm. a couple of youth team players and stuff like that. Yeah. But... For you it would have been such a massive deal. It's your debut. Yeah. Um, how does Peter Reid set sort of a youth team player up that's been in and around the youth team squad? He's he's obviously talked you up, he's signed you, you feel confident yeah. under him. What does he say to you before you go out against sort of Warsaw? How does he build you up for that? How does he get you ready for it?
0: Really, I think for him he just prepared the same as any other game. Like he just seen you as look, you 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 know, you've you've shown in recent months you're good enough, you've done it in training, you've you've outshone some of the first team players. So like like anything it's which is great Like in you go like it was giving you an opportunity where you know I knew players probably better than me at different clubs were just nowhere near it so you always knew you were at the right club and you know I think on a match day really everything was simple I mean Sacco done all the tactical stuff and all the yeah. rest of it but it was real basic stuff and I think that's why I really enjoyed my time at that time it was non, non like wasn't complicated you know so it was me growing up in Dublin, I was a street footballer. I used to just play football on the streets, like from coming from school, throw the school bag in. I was out on the streets so till I was pulled into the house, literally. Yeah. So I've gone from that then to Sunderland where Pop Robson's allowing you to play freely. He wasn't robotic, wasn't trying to change too much about you, just tweak a couple of things. And then I continued on then to really, where, look, you're a good player. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be in the changing room. You know, this is how we kind of play. This is a shape you just fit into that shape. And if you're good enough, then that's fine. Brilliant. Whereas again, other managers and coaches, you'll be getting an encyclopedia this thick of where to be in the 15th minute, where to be in the 30th minute and all this stuff. The last thing you need is to be, you know, players like it. real simple stuff. You know, if you're worried about where you are or what you're doing before the game, like too much, you have to do basics, don't get me wrong, but if a manager tries to exert too much control, Kills it. Kills enjoyment.
2: Yeah. Know. I think, I mean, I've, I've spoken to a few players from that era, you know, Chris yeah. Megan, Summerby, and stuff like that. And then um, I think it they would become, they were good lads. Oh, good, good lads. They're especially like Chris Megan. Them. Yeah. I'd yeah. yeah. Mickey Gray into the mix. Now no, I imagine it's uh, <laughs> there. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> they always talked about, um, I mean, you could see that the team spirit was great. Yeah. And everyone liked going out and having yeah. fun. But yeah. I think, Bobby Saxon was a huge part. People looked at Peter Reid as the figurehead, but yeah. a, a lot of the, I think, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Chris Megan. And he said, the thing is with Bobby Saxon, you could have the best laugh with him. He'd be yeah. the nicest guy, brilliant on the training ground, nothing yeah. overly complicated, but you respected him so much you'd, you'd yeah. never cross that line. And if yeah. you went anywhere near it, Reedy would come in. But how, how important was yeah. Bobby Saxon to the team spirit as well as the tactics yeah, yeah. and the whole setup? brilliant, like unbelievable character, you'll never get another Bob again, like it's
0: just, you can hear the nightest voice alone, like you know, we were young lads as well coming in, so you'd automatically associate real loud aggressive fuck- type voice with I'm in trouble, Yeah, but it's just the way he was, like do you know what I mean, it's the way he communicated, but yeah, he was absolutely brilliant, I mean we had a, we had a good one where, myself and a lad from Middlesbrough, uh, Michael Robson were on balls, our job was just to pump up balls, that was it, and yeah. he was obsessed with the pressure in them, I remember one day we went out with two bags of balls. And me and Robert were pumping the balls up and the gauge broke on the ball. So it's all shit. I said, We're in trouble here, like Sacco's gonna go <laughs> ballistic. So we had to guess the pressure on the ball. So we said, Rock, pumped them up harder rather than softer. And it was winter, January, so it was freezing. It was yeah. obviously. So we dropped the balls outside and we were on the th- the, the the third pitch, which was the U team. So Rezzy's were on the second, one, the fourth team, on the fourth. So they were doing shooting. I remember Kevin Phillips was the golden jewel at the time, as in, yeah. if anything happened to Kev, we were all screwed. Like, we'd no plan B. So, because he was that good, he was just scoring for fun. So, they were doing shooting and Kev Phillips, like, pinged the ball and all I heard was, I can't do a Cockney accent, but all I heard was, ah, oh, fucking hell, my toe, my fucking toe. And I said, oh, shit. <laughs> I said, Robbo, we're in the trouble here, like, you know. So, I heard Bobby Saxton, then his voice, this was his voice on the, on the first pitch. And he shouted to Ricky's brazier. He said, Ricky, you know, big loud voice. And everyone stopped on the three pitches because you hear his voice. He said, who the fuck pumped these balls up? And I was like, oh, Robbo. I looked at Robbo. I thought, we're dead, Robbo. That's it. So he said, send them two over. So Rick, me and Robbo, heads down, walking towards the first pitch. That's all the first team stopped and Sacco's looking at us. And he goes, did you just pump these balls up? And I went, yeah, listen, Sacco. I said, you know, the, the gauge broke, the gauge broke in the ball. Like, oh, I don't hear excuses. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so uh, the lads came over, took all the balls out. They were like bricks and pinged them up in the air. So me and Rob had to head them all. So these balls were coming out of the air and I was a winger, probably weighed about 150 pounds or whatever it is. So I was heading them and I was just, every time I headed it, my head just went dark, went blank was like, like getting a punch but Robbo he was a set and a half with the youth team he was loving it and he was like and heading the balls I was like Robo, stop being enthusiastic heading these balls I'm in the agony here you know so uh, Sacko was like no he said don't do that again he said Kev's hurt his toe he's, he's gone in to get treatment we, I was like I couldn't sleep and I was thinking oh, if Kev's injured tomorrow and we lose the game I'm going to get slaughtered here you know what I mean so that's why I was more worried about that But then it was all right. On Friday, Sacco, you know, you'd think you're in real bad trouble, but you'd be smiling, laughing probably in the background. So he called us in on Friday. He said, Robo Butts, get over here now. And I thought, oh shit, he's going to kill us again for something. And he said, right, I've got this state-of-the-art new machine. And he said, this pumps the balls up perfectly. And he showed us this machine. He was delighted looking at it and all the rest of it, you know. (laughs) And I was just looking at him, going, this bloke's nuts. All he cares about is the pressure of these balls. And uh, he said, now listen, you realise where I had to punish it. he said, so important, we need them with the right pressure, and all the rest, of it. he gives us a big lecture about the pressure of these balls, and so me and Robbo were just looking at each other going, this bloke's mad, you know, mad, <laughs> and then he gave us a little slap in the back of the head, and he went, listen, don't mess up again now, and he just started laughing walking off, yeah. off, but brilliant character, like as in, you know, it's. Uh, I'd be ringing up my parents home, I said, man, they're all crazy over here, I said, I'm getting judged, not on football ability, I'm getting judged on how I'm pumping up balls and doing jobs but <laughs> she was saying look you're an apprentice son that's what happens you have to learn first and then you, you know all the other stuff comes but unbelievable character Bob like he was he was brilliant and obviously you've seen that did you see the Premier Passions thing oh yeah yeah was, yeah absolutely I love mean, it yeah all the swag they're really bad about swear words over here aren't they you have to, you have to watch what they say but I mean it was just every word was Fuck Fucking beep, minging. beep beep beep, beep, yeah. beep you know it was brilliant but yeah again it would have been good to keep Bob around as well in the, in yeah. the background of some sort of, you know, because he knew something inside out. He knew what the fans kind of liked. He knew the he knew the culture, people, what they kind of wanted. Um, and I think, you know, I I, mean, I was just saying there, you know, it's just key people like that around the club, like people like Niall Quinn and all these people that fans like, they have a kind of, you know, association with and stuff like that. And it's just seemed over the years... You know, the shit. It, kind of, just, it? Just, just yeah. it was it was the atmosphere. I I think when we moved from that training ground to the you now only a footballer'd moan about this, by the because it was so selfish. It's GBR. You know, you move to a state of the art facility, 15 million pounds, or whatever it cost, beautiful hydro pools, you know, steam rooms and you know, all this type of stuff, lazy boy chairs with PlayStations, like ridiculous, so unbelievable. Um boy felt when we when we left <clears throat> when we left the Charlie Horley and we went there I think that was it. I think the, it was literally like within the space of a few weeks, there was no atmosphere because yeah. the place was so big. The first team then all of a sudden were totally separated to the U team, and the reserves were totally different. It was such a big place. Now people have no sympathy for that. They'll go, "You're winding me up." We're after giving you the best facilities in, in the country. Probably, I mean, that that academy is probably in the top top four, top six in yeah, the country. Definitely. It's unbelievable. But I just think. Again, like footballers are human beings. You have to break their habits quick as well. And they, and you lose that type of stuff. And then all the clicks start developing where, you know, instead of a big group of lads together, you have little twos and threes break off. Yeah. It does sometimes carry on then to the like to the pitch, to the first team. And it's, There's a place to hide, isn't there, almost, when it's so big, if like, you don't want to get yeah, involved but, socially. Yeah, But that's and that's the thing. You know, I mean, like, I won't talk about Swansea too much. When I was down there, it was very much, uh, we had all the lads from different nationalities and backgrounds and Roberto Martinez was there and it was a fine if you were you, if you were sitting at a table but just British lads, you know, or English-speaking lads or whatever like that. You know, he said, look, you got, to, you got to have a Spanish player or a South American player or whatever. He said, so you all had to be sitting together that doesn't know each other just to get to know yeah. everyone. So, and if you weren't, you got fined. So we always had to, every time you sat next to a group of people, they had to be either a different group or different nationality. So it was like common sense stuff from him then, you know. But I think a little bit of Sunderland, it was probably, they're like little small little things, but probably make a massive difference on a pitch. Because it, it's, it's, it was like us going back to the youth team. We all lived in the in the, in the hostel on the seafront. Yeah. And it was run by Karen and Jim Jim Morty. And they were brilliant. You know, they were like your second parents. And the whole youth team lived there. Now, I don't know how they put up with it, to be honest. We were, a nightmare. <laughs> we were an absolute disaster. Like, we really were. I mean, all teenage boys and they had to look after us and look after their own family. But it, it kind of goes back to that as well. The reason why we were so successful probably as a youth team is we, you know, ate together, slept together, you know, fought together as well. We'd be fighting constantly in, in the thing, but Brought us, We were all sitting watching telly. There'd be 16 lads watching the same TV. Yeah, of course. And then fighting over remote control and having a crack and all the rest of it. It's massive, but, that sort of stuff, at any yeah, level of work, s- isn't it? S- but, but then when you went on to the pitch, you'd, you'd dig out your mate, you'd help him out because you're so used to seeing him and all the rest of it. You were just as, as one kind of unit. So again, not rocket science. It's just that's why we're so successful. And I think as well, when they got rid of the hostel, as soon as they got rid of it, I was thinking, what are they doing? You know what I mean? Like, why get rid of something... That's that's working. Why yeah. why change it? So, but anyway, that's uh you know that's another rant of mine.
2: <laughs> you talked about um, sack. there's I don't know whether you know the answer to this, but there's a question that's been bugging me since I was about eleven year old. Whatever happened with Thomas Helmer? Honestly, Thomas Helmer was
0: an unbelievable player. The guy won World Cups like do you know what I mean so I was in the reserves at the time yeah, and I felt embarrassed sometimes playing with him because he was that good like he was he was a footballer he was a technical player he didn't really he's not going to be one of those that'll run and jump and smash someone in the air and win aerial duels he was a technical centre ball playing centre half or even holding midfielder you know so I think we just signed the wrong player I think he was available he was a big name I think the club just went come on we just keep the fans happy will sign this guy, put him in the reserves, which he must have thought. I've won World Cups so and now I'm at New Farrens Park, you know, with, <laughs> yeah. with Tommy Butler, George McCartney, and all these lunatics running around with Kevin Kyle and all this. And he must have thought, wow, what am I doing here? I think he was obviously on good money and stuff like that, but he could have played a bit more. But again, his legs probably was well, probably wasn't quick as well in that league. And then I mean, you're coming up against, you know, that, that you know, coming up against unreasoned and people like that, the speed and stuff. You know, he actually would have been better as a hold in centre mid, but that system didn't even exist then. No. no team was playing a hold in mid not in the Premier League then. It was it was not it just didn't it wasn't invented probably at that time. Yeah. Probably in four four two straight yeah, up then, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Probably in you know, in Italy or somewhere like that, maybe. They probably had those types of players. But yeah, I think Sacco's idea of a centre half was which is most probably most people's big, strong, aggressive wins his aerial jewels, does things simple and just says stays compact. You know, yeah, nice. Paul and Butler, simple. for example. Yeah, Paul Butler <laughs> yeah. done exactly what he wanted. Do you know what I mean? he'd he give you everything he's got, he give you a hundred percent, but look, if you're coming up against those pacey little nippy wingers and you're coming up against unreason that there's nothing you can do, you know. it's not not just them really, you know.
2: Was it because um, of those oh, there's obviously big rumours about Thomas Helmer having a fallout with Sacco and that sort of stuff, and everything gets blown he out probably proportion. did.
0: Like, I mean, players have fallouts all the time, every yeah. day. Like, this, this, I mean, you, you see like a group of lads that aren't involved in the squad. There's a queue on a Monday morning, waiting to see the gaffer. Like, You'd know, you you'd almost sometimes feel sorry for them, thinking, oh, God, I've got to explain to all these on a Monday morning the reasons why they're not in the squad. You know what I mean? So it must be tiring sometimes for managers yeah. so to say, look, you're just not good enough. You know, yeah, that's the reason why you're not playing as he's better than you. But they just, you know, I think we had a certain way of playing. He just didn't fit the style of how we played and probably thought, you know, look, I've won World Cups and all that. You need to have more respect and probably play the way I want to play. But it
2: doesn't work that way. No, not at all. Not not really in Saxon. no. no, No.
0: Like they have a formula that's
2: working. So why would you change it, you know? Of course. Now, sort of the following... Following season, you I think you played around seven or eight games. You you did get more into the team. Yeah. In the second season of like the seventh place stuff. Now, um, you know, we had a, a brilliant squad then. Yeah. Like, and it was really it, you had Summerby, you had Schwarty Quinn, Phillips. You you could international all over the players, park, yeah. and a really <coughs> good side as well. Um, you hadn't sort of grew up with that side no, in no. terms of like you weren't part of the playoffs and stuff like that and things like that. But then you came into it, so I suppose in a sense you came into a really good squad that had a really good unit. Yeah. Really good team spirit from technically an outside perspective, and then went into it. What for you? What was it that made that side so good?
0: I think it was characters as well. I think yeah. they were all big characters, like Baldy, you know, Don Hutchinson. Who um, else? You know, obviously Mickey Gray, Alex Ray, Alex Ray. Like so they were all big characters around it. Around it. like Quinny, obviously you know. massive. Yeah. All big characters as well. They're good players, but all strong, opinionated, good voices as well. Chris Macon as well. When he did speak, like you got scared a little bit. you know what I mean? So I think that's another thing. Any team I've been in <clears throat> that's been good and been successful. Swansea team, I was in that one league one. I went on that kind of run through the leagues. Yeah, I'd say out yeah, of the 11 players on the pitch, they were all strong individual characters, every single one of them. And I think, again... Teams that I've always looked at that didn't do well or, you know, struggle probably don't have them. You know, it's not... Again, you look at teams that struggle. You probably have one person on the pitch that opens their mouth, that speaks, that organises, that tries to get team spirit and all the rest of it. But most teams that have that amount of characters in it, don't get me wrong, it's probably still hard to control them. You You need a good manager to manage those types of personalities. But if you get it, if you get the balance right, you know, and I think at that time with those lads especially as a young player as well, coming in and just watching them even, you know, in training. So Stefan Schwartz is fantastic. Just leaders
2: all over the pitch, wasn't yeah, you all, you look all, at it?
0: All leaders. And then again, even in training, the standards were so high. Like this, You can always tell as well, that's another factor in it. I mean, the, the intensity in training, again, like, I wouldn't say it's so. The odd fight now and again, like I say, George McCartney would be fight with Nicky Somerby every week. They'd have to be pulled off each other in training. Because <laughs> George, like, you know, as a young lad, you just think, right? buzzer's is getting smashed here. I'm going to just hit him. I don't care if he's a senior player. Yeah. But again, good because manager. As I was a manager, I'd love that kind of thinking. You know, training's oh, never yeah, going to yeah. be dull and boring and people going through the motions. So even our small sided games, there was like, you know, there'd always be a little niggle or a bit of a someone squaring up to someone because the other team didn't want to lose, and that's just in a small sided game. But then that translates then onto a pitch then. So you have that kind of will to win and. You see these players like Stefan Schwartz, you see them in the gym, how hard they work and, you know, Mickey Gray as well, fitness fanatic. You see him, his fitness levels were unbelievable. Yeah. But, you know, And you could hear them, you could hear all the voices even in training. Like They, they acted kind of in training how they play and yeah. vice versa, it was the same thing. So you could always tell, you know, they had the right bunch of players there but again, it's, it's, it's like anything at a football club, you know, it's planning then for when they're not around or the years after that and that's where I think recruitment then absolutely massive if you won one bad year recruitment you are screwed
2: basically we've had numerous
0: and that's <laughs> and, I, and that's what I've noticed that over the last like 8-10 years and I was just you know it's almost kind of like I think Roy Keane said it when I think there was a player didn't want to sign because his missus didn't like the shots yeah shops. that's right yeah but that's what you're dealing with like I mean if you're thinking about signing a player because oh, listen it may you know we're getting a Harvey Nichols in, please sign for us. You can forget it. That player's not going to, it's not going to translate well onto the pitch if that's the motivations for some players. And I think Sunderland signed too many probably over the last 10 years. Like, you know, if, if it's a club in London that West Ham want to sign a player for on 40 grand a week, oh look, there's a club called Sunderland. No one really wants to go there, but they'll pay you 80 grand a week. All right, well I'll go sign for them. Yeah. Do you really want that mentality of a player you don't do it no like as soon as he's finished training he's in his car heading for the airport just to fly back down to London or whatever it is I'm not saying at all like that but it was generally that's what the gist you got of it and that's but it kept happening year after year and it doesn't I'm I'm involved in football for 15 years so probably see a lot of political stuff the fans don't see but all the fans I mean the fans aren't stupid the fans watch they know they're talking about the exact same things like saying why are we signing these people constantly for such a long period of time. You know, so it just couldn't keep going and I think I'm glad now the new the new guys are in now they seem a bit more morally connected to the to the fans and yeah. to the people like they seem a bit Definitely. more down to earth. I mean even in the community. You know, you see players going out into the community. I think it's in Grant Grantlad, I think last week went yep. into town in Banford Street, wasn't it? But yeah. it makes a massive difference. I mean, at Swansea, sorry about harp on about them, but we had we had a rota every week where you had, you know, four or five players every week and you were on media duty, it was called. So you yeah. had to, if the, if a school needed a player for a promotion or a hospital or, you know, going in to see sick kids or whatever it was or a business to pr- promote a business, you were you were on duty all that week after training to go and do it. Cause Martinez was kind of one of them where, look, you have to know who you're playing for. Like, you work for the fans, basically. You're working for that area, that, you know, that's that's what your primary job is, so you have to know the people who you're playing for and what do they want, you know that type of way, yeah. so we would be sent into the steel plants in Port Talbot and all the rest of it Now sometimes you hate doing it as a player, you just think,, oh, I just want to go home to sleep, yeah of course, but again, it takes nothing for an hour out of your time just to pop into a school, say hello, and I think Sunderland had a massive disconnect for about ten years where the lads weren't some of the lads weren't even signing autographs getting off the bus headphones yeah. on. Some of them sunglasses, stupid stuff, walking straight past fans, like not even stopping to sign an autograph, like you know, proper diva celebrity stuff. Just doesn't work for a does place it? Like someone, does not, it? no Not, 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 <clears throat> it doesn't, and that's where I think you know, a manager to come in and just say, look, you have to understand the the type of people you're playing for here, what and what do they expect? You know what I mean? I think, and and then the players have to buy into it. The players don't buy into it, nothing works. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's hard. It's pro- pretty hard to get right. Like, I mean, you, you can imagine all the managers of Sunderland. They don't tend, they don't try and go out and fail. They, they, they'll be no, gutted. They lose not. matches. They probably don't sleep, you know. They probably go home and sit there and think, oh, God, I've just got absolutely hammered off 46,000 people here. You know, you probably can't sleep at night. And think, How am I going to get this right? But it's, you know, if the players, players ultimately have to take responsibility, I think, especially senior ones, If they're not doing the business or they look disinterested or whatever it is, I mean, just leave. Just leave and then get the right recruitment process in where you think, right, let's sign the right types of
1: characters for this area. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football. Horse race, golf, almost any sport, 2%. That's just one way that BetDak is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDak, the 2% commission exchange.
2: Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. You mentioned about um, the the recruitment being wrong and stuff like that, and it's funny, it kind of totally led me on to the next question I was going to ask in a way. The... Two seventh place finishes that playoff. I mean, I was yeah. like 12, 13, and it was amazing. I, remember I still that. remember it. I could tell you the lineups, the attendances, yeah. the minutes were scored, the goals. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it just went totally wrong. Yeah. And I think that the basic answer that I've had from a few people is, well, we brought in too many foreign players. We broke up their yeah. team spirit. But there's got to be more to it than that. Yeah. What was what was your thoughts on why, why it went so quickly, drastically, <laughs> so drastically and quickly wrong? From um, that seventh place to like seventeenth. Confidence as well.
0: Delegation. Like co- again, like it doesn't matter if footballers on X amount of money, they're human beings number one. Yeah. And they and they they, they need to be confident, they need to be backed up. And I think as I mean, at home at Sunderland, in you know, that stadium, when it's when it's a packed house, you can kinda I mean they get used to those expectations of finish seventh or finishing seventh. When all of a sudden you lose two or three games and and you're sliding down the table a bit, you can hear it. You know, you can you can sense it. even after ten minutes, you can kind of one one bad pass, and you can hear the boos and the groans and all that, and it, and it does. I think if you've got three or four players, I was probably I was probably one of those players when I played. I'm thinking, God, one bad pass here, and I've got a whole stand. Like you know, thinking, boom, And Then it it becomes more then in your mind. Then of I just don't want to make the the, the next mistake. Forget. You. So you you're just blinded in your mind of if I make a mistake here, I'm going to get absolutely hammered. becomes a hot potato. Yeah, and yeah. everyone's scared. So then everyone, people are not really wanting to get on the ball and it's it's they're all shunning away. And again, there's not going to be any sympathy for that. People say, well, you're on 30, 40 grand a week. You should be brave. You should want to get on the ball. But again, like I say, they're, they're human beings. So they'll, you know, especially if there's some young players in the team as well, they're going to look and think, do I really want to get the ball here and lose it and have get slaughtered by whoever? And, and again, that, that translates then to the opposition. They pick up on that fear, fear as well. Oh, man. The opposition yeah, yeah. thinking, oh, if we get nil-nil a nil, half time here away at Sunderland, we know the crowd are going to jump on them here and get on their back. So it almost gives them an advantage. Same
2: thing for years, hasn't it? Yeah, but it,
0: from now, you can't blame them. Look, people work hard all week, Monday to Friday. They're out grafting, and they think, right, I'm going to go Saturday and have a right vent. Some some people do, right. and I'm just going to let it all out. It's, it's advice, fine. It? That's, they pay the yeah. money. Let them, you know, you can go and do what you want, but. You know, I think a little bit of it is sometimes you can play into the opposition's hand at times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I understand the frustration. If you've gone through as many years of pain as Sunland fans have, you know, they've every right to just be angry if something, especially in league. Like yesterday, for example, prime example, you know, I was at the match last night and I know it was 1-1, but you could you could hear the groans after 10 or 15 minutes. And then when they scored, and some of the shouts were, Jack Ross out. Yeah, year, no. Like, I'm so, not on board with that. No, I don't.
1: I don't think they're all
0: that. But just saying, when, you, when you're hearing stuff like that, and then it goes around, it, it's it's it can translate onto the pitch. But you know, I just think with them with, with Sunderland for the last ten years, it's just it's been like that. And I, I've just been talking earlier on. It's I remember <clears throat> away from home, a completely different kind of mentality. Sometimes I used to think, "Oh yes, I'm playing away from home." Yeah, because the fans were, I don't know what it was. It was like, they'd out-sing whoever it was in the state. I think we played Sheffield United away in the championship, I think, Um, when Mick McCarthy. Kevin and I, Kyle? I think, yeah. yeah, I think yeah that yeah. was it. And I think, honest to God, you couldn't hear the Sheffield United fans. Southern fans out them for 90 minutes. And it was more, I don't know, it just felt less pressure. Yeah. You know, again, people go, you oh, should want to play in front of 50,000 people. And that's, you know, but... If it, when it turns nasty, it's not a good place to be. It's not. Yeah. No, it's not. Not at all. And any, not 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 anywhere. Like no one likes. If you're going in every Saturday and thinking, right, we're in the team. We're going to probably struggle. The other opposition are probably better. And you know as well. You know, oh God, we're losing two or three nil here. You just, oh God, please, please make this end. Yeah. Because you you know, and then you get in a, a slump then. You know, you're getting a kind of a downward spiral, and then losing sometimes then just becomes an, an actual habit of just, oh, we've done alright for spells, but we lost one
2: nil, oh and
0: and that's the, that's a horrendous mentality. But we once lost that sets such a big in,
2: characters as well. Like, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, that that I definitely as a fan and have been since the stadium opened yeah. and, and beforehand, you can definitely feel that negativity yeah. that sometimes comes across. But I suppose when we're talking about like that season when really went. Yeah, you'd lost Alex Ray by that point. Hutchinson and yeah. uh, Hutchins, Hutchins was right. a massive loss. Chris Megan, I mean yeah. Hutchinson is a player and both as a, yeah. a character. Yeah. You'd, you'd pretty Summerby was gone by that. Yeah. Well, he wasn't gone; he was ostracised yeah. yeah. um, for for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, there was only really character-wise, you had what Mickey Gray, Sorensen, yeah. Phillips. Yeah. Quinney was gone by then, and even Thomas Sorensen was quiet, quiet.
0: I didn't really speak much, but you're right. Like it's like anything, that's where the recruitment's vital. Yeah. It's saying, right, we're getting rid of four <clears throat> strong characters here. The next ones we bring into the team, they have to be equally, you know, they have to be on the, on the exact same level as, as those types of lads or else don't be surprised if there's a slump. Like, again, it's... And it just felt like sometimes it was blind in, in the windows to just, like... Ellis Shark gets a lot of stick, but just threw money at it probably without any thinking behind it. You know what I mean? Like, I was in... You know the manager has to has a way of playing, has has their identity of of what way they want to play. Then they need to speak to the scouting department and say, right, these are the types of players I need to play in this system. Go get them. But if there's a big gap, there, no communication, and they're signing players who don't fit into the the way they play. Like again, I keep saying rocket science all the time. You look at the like the successful teams around. Like you know, they probably have a director of football or someone in that just links all these departments together and yeah. does the right job. And I think they're, they're becoming really important now as well. If you get the right type of director of football in that has a really good relationship with the manager and an them how they play, he does all the work. for the manager. the manager doesn't have to think about players. He just right. You get on to day-to-day operations with the football team. Let the director of football then go and get these players that fit into your system. So you don't have to worry about it. But... It, that all sounds really simple, but for some reason, you know, just year after year after year, instead of, right, why is this all going wrong? And everyone getting in a room and crunching together, saying, right, we're not leaving this room yeah. until we go through all the mistakes we we'll keep on making. So we keep on making the same mistakes, but let's get in a room, let's go through everything and come up with a good solution. And for some reason, for years, as you, you guys know as fans, you must have been all thinking the same thing. Like, yeah. In a, in a in a business in a corporation, if profits were sliding every year, something to be done about it. There'd be there restructuring the or there'd be something again, done. Again, but football clubs shouldn't be any different, really. No, you know. You're totally so right. I I did feel sorry on some of the managers that came in. Sometimes you, you you have to look and just some of them thinking, well, I want. Did they really get the players they wanted? Probably not. Probably got a list of say, here's right. You want four players, but here's a list of twenty. And you, know, you can't get him, but here's your fourth choice or whatever. So,
2: talking what can of, you do? Talking of managers, yeah, I think uh, when you when you really start getting into the team, yeah, uh, obviously when Reedy had gone and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so another man that came in. God. <laughs> uh, don't mention him. I'm gonna have to. Oh, God,
0: <laughs> Howard Wilkinson. Um, Strange one to him because, like. He won, the pre- he won the Premier League with Leeds England manager so again who am I to question this guy but at the same time you know it was like going back to school like it literally was you know you'd be in a classroom and you'd be doing stuff for
2: like two hours on a you know on a yeah, Matt Piper said that on you do whiteboard. like less training to the yeah. point where we were on, yeah. like the players were we unfit we were
0: already unfit we all probably weren't near it like as in matching even teams for fitness you know but I think tactically he tried to probably educate us about football and about he just didn't have enough time Premier League you don't you have four or five games and if you don't win in that spell the fans are on you and you're out like it's literally you don't have sometimes you don't have time unless you come into a pre-season and you've got two months to work and implement what you want to do without losing games and you get that period and, and the players get it Yeah, you have a chance but when he came in it was just honest to God I think for me that's where I should have left I should have went into my agent or went to the chief exec and said, Look, you got to get me out of here. I'm absolutely the most oppressed man in the world. Yeah. Coming in here every day and having to sit in a classroom and I mean one one time we had, I think, it was a play doh. There was like sixteen of us in. I'm not kidding you. So we're all sitting <laughs> along and all on our desks was all this like mold, like clay. And he was like, Whatever way you mold this kind of gives me a picture of who you are as a as a player and a man and all this. And so we're like <laughs> Football is generally, you're not really deep people, like, you know what I mean? A real basic, most of us, anyway. So you can imagine what the lads were sculpting. <laughs> yeah. Use your <laughs> imagination. Yeah. So, yeah, they were sculpting all sorts and then it turned it into a, turned into a, you know, a clay fight. Yeah. So no one took it seriously and I think we went out and starting up beat 4-0 or whatever. So what waste of time, like, just, I was doing this type of stuff, I was thinking, this, and then you go out, you do a warm-up. You'd warm up for like, 40 minutes and then you, this is probably like you know whatever in the cold months yeah, hailstoning and be snowing and everything you know so you'd be freezing so you do a warm up stop and you would throw in for like 40 minutes so you're all standing around working on a throw in and I'm going if you can not throw a ball in and I can trust a professional footballer to throw a ball in forget it yeah give up but you do that for like 40 minutes so you, you've warmed up then you've stopped still so your body's stopped for 40 minutes you're standing about and then you'd have to do another warm-up again to do something else and all the rest of it. And that was it for me. I was absolutely, like, broken. I used to just come home every day and thinking, oh, I'm dreading going in tomorrow.
2: So many little details. I remember, you know, you used to have all writing the notes on the touchline yeah. as well. And you just see him sitting there, like... Yeah. I mean, that, the, that was the, the academic side well. of it, yeah. It was that Geese story as well that Matt Piper yeah. mentioned. But another uh, one,
0: when they come in and he, he goes, right, lads, I'm going to show you the best team in the world. And we were like, right, Brazil, Argentina, whatever it was. And we were thinking, at least we're looking at a good team and it's not some stupid class, whatever it was. <laughs> and then Attenborough comes on. I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? So I see all these geese flying in formation. And then he's like, "On oh, a look, when, when one geese drops out here, another one fills in and helps him out, helps his mate out. Now, I could understand what he's trying to say, like as in, you help your mate out on the pitch. But basically, that's what you're trying to tell us. But I was just like thinking to myself, we're playing Arsenal probably on Saturday Henri, Perez and all these guys and he's shown us a video with Geese in it and we're already struggling we're probably unfit I'd say motivated morale's at an all time low and I just go God get me out of this place this is a joke surely but honestly yeah they used to hire I think psychologists and all sometimes must have paid them a fortune come in and try and analyse you get me out on the pitch you know work me get me fit or you know Work on the up, but do something. I mean, it they weren't all bad, don't get me wrong. As in some some players actually like this, so it's it's all about opinions. Yeah. But it was so extreme, I think they probably lost 60-70% of you used to just drift off. Now if, if, you know, if you can tell when footballers are in meetings, anything past 10-15 minutes where you need where you need them to concentrate, anything after the probably 15 minutes, you've lost them. Yeah. They literally have. Probably most people are generally
2: in meetings. Start to drift daydreaming and stuff, you know what I mean? So, how did the senior pros take that? Because you've got people like Kevin Phillips, and um, I think you would have had Sorensen at that point, Kilban would have been yeah. the senior pro at that point. And you're going from a team who's, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the seventh place finishes, but there's yeah. points when we were second off top, yeah. we were, We could have been much higher than but seventh. There was no
0: fear. So, the difference between seventh twice was players played with no fear, yeah. and that's a massive thing, like in it's confidence and, and just arrogance of playing and knowing even going out you always when we finished seven twice you had that kind of feeling that every time you went down and you played or the team played you know, it didn't matter which team you were playing Kev, Kev was going to score if he got a chance Quinny was going to set one up Hutch was going to probably pick up a goal from somewhere so you always knew yeah. you felt that you know what I mean so I just think but Wilco when he came in I just think when you restrict tactical technical players and you try and turn them into robots now he probably, who does this guy talk, I'm mean, you know, I couldn't care less, just, it's it's what I've seen, you know, if, you, if you're if you trying to change people, like trying to tell a player that's, plays freely, like, you know, open the ball up and play and get on the ball and, and make things happen and try and say to him, no, robotically, this is where we want you, like, try and predict the whole 90 minutes of where you should be and stand and do this and that. They're not even thinking about the game. They're more worried about, oh shit, you know, should I be standing here in the thirty fifth minute or there or there? They're not even noticing kind of what's going on because you're more worried yeah. about you're getting judged then after it and saying, right, they'll analyse a game and then probably say, well, oh, you know, was your body position right there when you received them? Oh, listen, I couldn't care less, you know, like at, at that level, some of them. And again, I was one that just that was it. I was already dealing with lots of injuries as well at the time. Yeah. Come true and mm-hmm. I had. I mean I'd step out of a car and probably get injured it was that bad It's just embarrassing do you know and again mostly my own fault probably off the pitch diet was probably horrendous you know culture at the time was you know if you went in a pub on a Saturday after a match or a Sunday this guy's a weirdo what's wrong with him you yeah. know Re- not realising how much damage alcohol does to your muscles especially in, in, in recovery we didn't kind of have that information at the time but it's common sense it's just listen you're an athlete you're a professional footballer act like one but, we were more recreational then, you know, and all the sports science stuff comes out now, but when you look at the lads that finished probably seven twice in those two years, they probably had to slip the same way. We just yeah, got away with it yeah. for whatever reason. But, you know, um, that was it for me. And I think Wilco was probably, a combination of probably injuries and a big bit of depression of, you know, when you did get in, you're constantly playing in pain and all the rest of it. I just said, right, that's it. Had enough of this. And I should have just went into the you know, I should have just went into the chief exec or rang the agent up and said, "Look, just all I needed then was a change of scenery." As soon as you stop learning as a young player, as soon as you stop learning and you feel like you're not advancing or progressing, you need to get out. You know, and for me, you know, when you're a youth team player and you come up, you get really, you know, you know, you get you get you get used to your surroundings, you get really comfortable. So it's hard to just turn around and, and just do that. And again, at, th- at that age as well, you know, there wasn't really much. Uh, information about mental health or yeah, you know I think probably now if that was a similar situation someone would have just went right this guy's having a meltdown here he's he's unhappy he's injured he's this that and the other he's saying oh you know I don't want to go in I don't want to play this guy's absolutely killing me every day it's just so bad you know but nowadays someone would just go hold on a minute go and see the sports psychologist and have a chat with him or take a couple of weeks out or whatever and that, that was it really that's where it came from but you can't blame Sunderland either because they're paying you to be training and in and on a
2: pitch, yeah. So you. It was were, a different era. wasn't that yeah. long ago, but it, it's changed so it's, massively. It's completely different
0: now, yeah. And I think I was too young to understand probably what what I was kind of going to go through there as mm-hmm. well. As you, you opened your mouth and you said, pulled some said, "Listen, I'm struggling. My head's gone. You're weak. You are weak as piss. Yeah. You know." And that's it. And that's you we were more afraid of that probably than anything else. Whereas now, there's a lot more you can go and you know you have yeah a lot of clubs have have psychologists part of the club now and, and, and some of them Brendan Rogers when at, at Swansea I think it was once a week you had to go and see a sports psychologist for an hour I think he made every player go so the only thing with that is you'd be worrying whether he's feeding the stuff back to the, yeah. to the manager but again ethically I don't think it would have happened but it he just missed out on that era around then and it, eventually things improved and got better but you know it's it, that was it I think once you stop as a young player as soon as you stop learning that's it. I think he, that's when you, you, you need to change the scenery. You need to get out of
2: there. Obviously, he was only there, oh, I want to say it was three, four months. It wasn't long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mick McCarthy comes in. Yeah. But Mick McCarthy gave you a debut yeah. for Republic of So, that must have been a huge boost for you mentally, probably physically as well because you will want to be like fit as you can be for him. Yeah. I think, I don't know you asked the question, obviously he was very different. Incredibly different. Mick brilliant.
0: Mick was brilliant, yeah. I mean, I think the damage was done with me. I think before, even when Mick came in beforehand. Yeah, okay. I'd I, confidence-wise and injuries, and I'd say mental health at that time from being a, I would say I don't know on a, a scale, I'd probably been depressed, but I wouldn't have said it was extreme, but definitely just, you know, numb at some stage of just thinking oh, I'm that depressed, at how bad training is, and all the rest of it you know I think that was just on a downward spiral and then, and, and again when, when you're in that frame of mind as well you pick up injuries even more because your body's under so much stress then as well you're just worried about stuff that doesn't really matter but in your head it does you know so I think when Mick came in again yeah it was like oh, yes Mick's in Mick's really honest brilliant good man manager Mick was a little bit like Reedy in the case of boundaries basics let's get them sweating again let's get them training properly you know, let's get the atmosphere going again. Mick was brilliant on that front, you know. Uh, and again for me, it, it was just I think I picked up a few more, I think it was like a few hamstring tears as well under Mick. So again, it was just doom, doom, doom for that. So again, for me, if it was going back in time, you would have just said, as soon as the Wilco thing ended, get out get out. Yeah. And the club even then probably should have said, get this guy out quick, sell him at least get like whatever, get 50 grand, a hundred grand from, at least then we get, get some, no, I didn't cost any money. I think I cost like two grand or something. I think that's what, that's what was my, uh, what I was thinking, I was bought for, but it, it's still, it was, it was a shame. I think most players do when they leave, when players leave clubs, most players leave on bad terms as in, and you're good, you are, when you're young, you're like that, you're gutting about, you're thinking, you know, the, what about all the good times you had there as well? You always think, you know, like you remember playing the Premier League, getting man of the matches and stuff. So yeah, you, you kind of you have to give yourself a break when you get older. You have to look back and think, yeah, look, I, I could, you know, I've made lots of mistakes. You you would change lots of things, but at the same time, is it's finished now. You have to look back and think, well, look, you know, as, as a as a young kid growing up, you, you know, you say I want to play in the Premier League, I want to play in the score a goal in the FA Cup, you know, rounds, and you know, want to play for my country. So on a tick list, you're thinking, right, well i have tick those boxes didn't have a stellar career of you know most people you, you think like judge success say well, well what success they say well 500 league games in the Premier League that's yeah. a successful career but everyone has individual you know yeah of course uh, individual ideas of what success is and I mean I have to kind of look at that and say look given the injuries and everything I sustained probably over the year I mean I had 7-8 operations in say 12 years so that's again i mean I'm even amazed another club signed me, given you have that much I mean the sheets when you used to do the insurance forms and we went to clubs and the barrison, you'd be there you'd be going through sheets and so, so when did you have an operation you'd be going through lists and lists and lists of operations um but that's the way I think you have to look at it is you know look as a kid you'd snap the hands off that as a as a young kid because the, the odds are obviously stacked against you um but yeah you're, you're good. you you got I live in Sunderland now. My girlfriend's from here, so it's you have lots of friends from Sunderland. So you are yeah. a little bit gutted that you think, I "Wish it, I wish it finished on better terms," but
2: you know you still have
0: all the memories and all the good stuff as well that happened
2: as well. You know, you came on to exactly what I was going to go on to because right. the the season after we got relegated, I think I think Mick did a, a great job. I don't yeah. think it gets loaded enough. I know the first season didn't go up, but we got one FA Cup semi. And yeah. for you, you played a lot more. Obviously, we dropped down a division. We'd lost. um, Julio was fit, obviously, which was your side, but much more opportunity. You were getting in the team. I remember a game against. I think it was Ipswich at home. We won three two. He played really well. But we come up to a game against Nottingham Forest, you've just yeah. kind of touched on your suffering mentally, massively. Yeah. So yeah. Mick McCarthy comes in, that's obviously a boost for you, I would imagine. Yeah. But you come to the Nottingham Forest game, you're playing more regularly and stuff like that. I mean, up the story's not really touched on. Yeah. Ma- yeah. Many people know of what happened and, and yeah. various different avenues. But at the same time, you. I mean, you said about Wilkinson that, yeah. that you, you knew you were struggling at that point. Yeah. Then you come to Mick McCarthy comes in, someone you, you evidently trust or like, yeah. but you, you still sort of struggle with it. So kind of run me through from the, the start of that season up to that Forest game when you got took yeah. off early. Yeah. I think uh, Kyle came on. Yeah. Give me the full story, like from yeah, yeah. start to finish as best you can. Yeah, no, well,
0: that was it. Like it was, you know, Mick was fantastic. I think it was, roles were reversed and I had a Mick in, instead of a Wilco come in at that time. Mm-hmm. Again, things probably would have been completely different, but... <clears throat> I think, yeah, the damage definitely was done for me in my mind and my body as well. It was just battered and probably struggling a lot with injuries as well, in pain as well every day. And, I mean, you're getting out of bed, you're taking 200 milligrams of you know anti-inflammatories and 200 milligrams of paracetamol or whatever just to get through a training session and stuff. So building up to that, played a few games, obviously, in the, in the championship, done well. I was kind of in and out. It was play one game, play one average game, play one game, play one bad game. So it was trying to get that consistency together as well as as you do. but well, I remember the Nottingham Forest game. I actually overhydrated. When I look back now, I know a lot more about sports, science, and, and all the rest of it. And I remember that game. Because obviously I knew I was starting. And I actually had family over to watch it, which was even worse. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, And I just remember I would no energy. I had absolutely no energy. So I drank about four liters of water the night before. And I was drinking water all the way through the day. And, and they say, obviously... If you or if you drink too much water, you you know, obviously you piss out all the nutrients yeah. and all the rest of it. So I remember just feeling really weak, like, and you know, also So obviously on the pitch, I was probably going dizzy after probably 20 minutes. Like I was literally going dizzy. I was thinking, I, I, even breakfast, I don't even think I get breakfast, which is probably a stupid thing to do. But yeah, I'm struggling. I think, to be fair, Mick's seeing it. Know, Mick's realist, He just saying it, went, Tommy fucking hell, can't breathe here. Look at him, he's absolutely, and I was, I was... Nowhere near it. like, But not from the mental side of it, it was probably all right there. It was just literally, that was one catastrophic mistake of, what an idiot, drinking yeah. stupid amounts of water and ending up doing that. And, then it, and that was it. Just mixed just saying, right, you need to come off. And he was right. He was right to take me off. But obviously... As a young player, then you come off, I think it was probably like 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it was. And then that was it. People thinking, wow, what's going on here with this guy? You know what I mean? Which is fine. If I was a fan going to watch a game with the exact same questions, you think, what the hell's going on here? But that was like a combination of a big build up of things for, for a lot of months, probably coming down to that as well. But it wasn't just on that. It was That was literally what happened with the, with the overhydration stuff. And I found out then down the line, when it was at Swansea, we were doing all the tests with hydration and stuff. I mean, Martinez was obsessed with it. You know, getting your hydration right. If you're overhydrated, even in a training session, you were pulled. (coughs) They'd pull you out of it and say, right, your hydration's horrendous. You're not training today. Go and stand and go and sit in the pool. Yeah. So you're kind of learning. And by the age of probably 26, 27, I probably got a good balance of learning about your body, what foods agree with you, how much to drink, water wise, and all the rest of it. And I think at that time, I didn't have a clue as well. Mm -hmm. So some weeks I'd play, I'd be full of energy, I'd do well. The next week, I'd probably be. Probably have no energy and thinking, but it's probably all based on diets and how much fluids you're having on board as well. So, yeah, but it, it was, I mean, that that is like a stressful time. It is like, you know, one wants to see you get whipped off after 20 minutes, but it's one of those things I think you look back on and you think, well, look, horrible time in your life. But at the same time is now, as I'm retired, you know, I can look back and most players that aren't in the top 1% that have those stellar careers, you have more bad times than good anyway. Like yeah. you, you know, I speak to most players that play League Two, League One, probably Championship, and float in between those leagues. And you, and you ask those que- those lads questions, and you say, "Well, you, you you always have more bad times than good times, always." So apart from those lads that have the five hundred Premier League games, where yeah, they have bad times as well. But look, as in if you're looking at silverware and all the rest, of it, and that's what you're judging on. When I look back at that, you think, "I wish that never happened," but it did. You know what I mean? So. Did yep. that
2: change a lot of stuff for you? Because um, obviously, I don't think you played for the club again after that, did you? No, I think that was that was it. Then I think for me, did you have yeah. a conversation? Did did Mick approach you, or did you approach Not Mick? Really? That,
0: that that's what was probably weird about. I think if Mick now would probably have said if that happened, a young player, you know, and again, you got to look at it as two years ago I was probably worth about three million, and I played mm-hmm. two or three games in the Premier League and done really well. I had managed the matches and stuff. So even from an asset point of view, as a club he would probably have to step back and say well what's going on with this lad he's absolutely plummeting here pull him aside and find out what's going on because we could lose money here potentially if we get him back on track we could sell him i might sell him for a million pound at least get some money you know but i think mix just managers as well i think especially once they're so preoccupied with i need to just get to saturday and win this game i don't have time if there's someone outside that group that's needs extra help or they're struggling or whatever it is I don't have time for that crap I really don't so you can at the time you don't understand that but on the the outside of stuff do they really have time to be sitting with you for a couple of hours and I I know managers it's all different now look if that was a Martinez or a Brendan Rodgers they'd have you in the office for hours and hours and hours going through everything you'd get all the help in the world they'd want to get you back on track and all the rest of it but I just think Mick not, not not his fault at all. He's, old he's school just, manager, he's wasn't a, it really? Well, yeah. not even old school. He just he's just thinking, "Oh fucking hell, I've got to get the team ready for Saturday. I don't have time for this shit." And he, you know, he's right. You know, and, I mean, I've spoke to Mick McCarthy since. I've met him a good few times, and you know, we get on really well. And you know, probably, probably haven't even mentioned it really.
2: You know, so so did you just give you time to just go away? Yeah, did well, you just like, like I'm struggling. Yeah, well, I I just away. I just said I can't do it. I said I just can't
0: do it anymore. I said I was absolutely in a world of pain, depressed aching physically so i think the best thing for me would have been step away for a couple of months just let your body your mind heal or whatever it is and go from there but i think after that then which is fair enough to say well this guy's getting paid you know a monthly wage i wasn't on much at the time a couple of grand a week compared to the big sums you have now but still still it's still a really good wage and they're thinking well now if this guy's not coming in well then why should we pay him so it just went back and forward from there really and then it was a it was a kind of like, right, get your head together, get straight, which, as you know nowadays, it's, you know, it's it's a lot more understanding with it but then there wasn't really, it was just like, this guy's nuts, this guy's like, yeah. who doesn't want to play professional football? This guy's an absolute psychopath so, there was no sympathy and there was no, you know, nothing like that on the outside from anywhere. Like, even your friends be ringing you up going, he's crazy, I work in a factory doing 50 hours a week, you know, and, you're saying look it doesn't work that way you know you're a human being it doesn't make a difference if you're not happy you're in pain and you're struggling it doesn't matter if you're on 100 grand a week or pound a week Yeah. you know I've known people that
2: probably not, monetary not, not earn it. much but they're, yeah.
0: they're probably happier than I know lads on now on 40, 50 grand a week that are miserable
1: Yeah.
2: now
0: if you say that to people they're like what are you kidding me I'm telling you dude, lads on 40, 50 grand a week that aren't in the team they're not playing they're the most miserable people around us they're down they're clumpy the you know it, human beings at the end of the day you know
2: and there was a I think I mean I, I'm really going back now but I remember there wasn't a great deal of sympathy from not just Sunderland fans fans yeah. in general you've seen the story like a, I yeah. don't get it so you've yeah. you've got that kind of isolation but how does that go? I mean you you got released eventually from the contract yeah. was that a discussion that had or did they just ring you and say look you're not turning up yeah. you're sacked you're done and yeah. then <sighs> I don't know which way around this is. Did you go against a club or was it a club that went against you? Because it was some kind of... Yeah. I think it was, case, it, it was It,
0: like a, it was like more like a when you had time off to heal, basically, mentally and physically. You're thinking, right, what am I? I'm a, I'm a footballer. I've done it all the way since I've been a kid. I want to get back into it now and I need a gateway back. Because, unfortunately, when stuff like that happens, word gets about to like clubs and everyone spreads about and they talk and say, oh, is that that psycho? Is that that nut job that you know, and I, I was probably one of the first. If you see it, it happens a lot now, you probably, Yeah you know, players just take a couple of months off or whatever it is for, people do it for alcohol addiction or whatever it is. Lee Griffiths is currently yeah. with Celtic, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it, it does happen quite a lot, but yeah, both parties kind of arguing over, right, well, he wants to get back into football and someone's saying, no, it's not happening with us. So that's where it all, all, all came back to it. And then eventually then, Uh, I got released from my contract which was good because that meant I could go and play play football basically so all I was saying probably in the end was I just want to it's not going to be at Sunderland but I need to get my registration back to go and play really so Sunderland could have just probably just said yeah just do it but it was taking a long time months and all the rest of it so that's where all that came from Um, and then obviously then that was it the damage was done in the UK as far as you know words out managers coaches scouts speak to each other yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a good player or not and you think you're better than what they have they think is this guy reliable you can't rely on him because mentally we don't think he's he's ready you know that type of way so yeah, I probably yeah, missed course. out on uh, I probably missed out on about I'd say 6-7 teams that were probably yeah we'll get him in because we would have took him in before all this happened but because of the mental health stuff or the mental issues of saying well oh god like this guy just fucking walked away he was you know, moaning about this and that that was it so I that, that kind of killed me a bit, killed my career. Well, it did, actually. That That's what killed my career, really. So mm-hmm. you literally had to go from the bottom then and start and try and try and push back through, which um, then I went on to Dunfermline then in Scotland. Yep. That's where I got. Luckily enough, thank God, I was thinking, just someone, just give me whatever, five, six months, get me back, get me back into enjoying football again. And that's that's where it, what happened from there, really.
2: So when you've had something that, massive happened to you and not just as a professional career but I suppose you've when you're in the public eye people know about it yeah like I still remember it happening yeah yeah oh did he retire did he not what happened with you and I was time, yeah. I was really interested in yeah. hearing the story about it hence why I wanted it to come in I believe you're still involved in football yeah, yeah so how have you took that I mean what are you up to now first and foremost yeah I know you still watch something because you mentioned yeah. it, but how did you take that experience of the mental health issues into yeah. into football now? Do you still take that into it? Does it
0: do? Yeah, I mean, I, I work in sports management now, which is the the evil of football now. But uh, <laughs> you know, not we're not very like. But from the background and all, the I'd say the mostly mistakes again you've made in fifteen years. So you kind of add them all up. They always outnumber the, the good things you do, and that's that goes for most people in in, in football footballers in general. Um, so when I got into sports management, I thought, you know what, if I can get to young players before they jump in and make probably rash decisions, as in, I, I was probably right what I was trying to do to, to protect myself, mm-hmm. but the way I went about it was probably wrong. Yeah. As in, I should have done things the right way. I there was probably a better process of doing it. So like in sports management, when you have your clients now, especially young players, they need so much help. Like. I've every single situation a young lad's been in whether they've been injured or fans hate their guts or whatever it is I've been there so for me it's it's trying to get to them to say look when this happens I'll be the one ringing you to give you the right advice because there's a high probability what you're going through I've been through it so my kind of role in our company would be more so based working with young players like yeah. everything else including that like recruitment scouting all, all that type of stuff trying to get players in and goes with it but for me i get a good kind of satisfaction out of you know i always say dodging bullets players dodging bullets there's all these problems for for an 18 year old say coming down the line for them and it's how many can you dodge coming for you really yeah whereas i probably went head first into probably so many of them and i think back i think you know what if i had the right advice probably around then i still probably would have made some mistakes but the fallout wouldn't have been as bad. Do you know what I mean? It would have been yeah. dealt with a lot better. So I I kind of take a good bit of pride in that, thinking hopefully I can turn around after, you know, one of our clients' 15 years and say, look, well done. You came out of that one. Remember when this happened and we helped you and we done this and that. Again, most agencies or most people I know that are agents do similar stuff. And again, you're always going to get the tiny percentage of, you know, uh, thieves out there that, just in it, that just transactions. Yeah. Of Piece course. of meat moves from A to B. I get paid X and I've got nothing to do with it. Whereas, you know, I work for a proper sports management company where, you know, we, we have long term relationships. Generally, where our clients, you know, we, we do everything off the pitch to try and secure their futures and, and make sure they're all right, you know. And, and again, that's it's one of the big things for me is, again, because what I've been through and all the rest of it, that type of advice, if you could pay for that now, to dodge all those bullets as I, as I call them coming along the way it's it's so valuable you know what I mean yeah. It's it really is but yeah like, I mean I'm enjoying that side of it but the political side of things as well you see the other side of it where I mean it's obviously especially with Sunderland I know I'd probably be executed walking near the stadium saying you're an agent now at this stage
2: because they <laughs> hate it you know and,
0: and it's, rightly so because the last 10 years I yeah. just think the club has had the piss absolutely taken from them, beyond the oh, belief, yeah. unbelievable. You know, like it's just so much more. I think it's like four, was a four or five million in agents' fees or something like that. Yeah, it
2: me? was insane. I'm, I, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was it was yeah. pretty high for and the
0: again, return
2: we had on it. Shall yeah. we say?
0: And again, for players, then again, who are the wrong types of players? So you like you don't want. Sometimes you think, right, you know what? Paying agents' fees is great if you get a striker and scores forty goals, and you bombing up the league I couldn't care less if you pay a few million in agents fees because you're getting the right players yeah. but I just think they've been you know they've been lied to I think they've been done a lot through it and you know exaggerated prices and all the rest of it I mean the new chairman must have went through the books and just got sick when he seen some of the stuff and just thought right that's it i'm gonna get a crossbow out anyone coming near the place is getting it Do you know what i mean so You doesn't um, seem
2: to suffer fools when it comes to agents anyway but.
0: yeah yeah you know what i mean but there are like i mean the, for the ones that are crooks that are out there and there are some of the stuff i've seen is absolutely horrendous like as in so immoral um but again it's bit, you know anywhere where there's money or huge volumes of money there's always going to be a corrupt element of people trying to Extort and get one over and the other and yeah. all the rest of it. it happens in every business. football's no different. You know you're going to get it. You get it. It's just unfortunate. I think Sunderland has has probably had the worst of it. So again, you you understand the fans' frustration, or they're pissed off. They're pissed off on the pitch. The team aren't kind of playing well and all the rest of it. And then all this other stuff's going on. So you can, as a fan or a young lad growing up here, I'd be angry. I'd be pissed off every day. Or going in. So you can you can understand the frustration one hundred percent. Yeah. But the only thing I'll say is, to say, it's you know, if you get forty thousand fans and they're all to say positive as in, look, even if you draw a game, just try your best to not, just try to have a in a way fans mentality at home, if you know what I mean. Yeah,
2: of course.
0: It might it might help. Just try it and see if it works. If It, it doesn't <laughs> work. I I think so. I like just yeah. they are, and it's all cliche is the twelfth man. They are like you know what I mean. I remember when they were playing Chelsea, you know, winning three one, and when and uh, Super scored that goal the fans like, were like, honestly, like the noise of them. It was just, everything that was working, everything that could, that went right, went right. It was all positivity, it was places bouncing, training was good, the, the energy, everything was flying. It's just, it takes a few little negative things to creep in for everything to crumble. You know, so I just think the fans are so valued. The fans are probably don't realise how valuable they are at home and how much of an impact they have on the team. They, 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 honestly, like if, I think it's so hard now. Be loads of fans going, oh, "Is this guy for real or what?" I, should be allowed to scream and shout. And same old Sunderland and all this. Yeah, the lads are trying their best. Like you know, it's League One's a League One's a hard league. It's not easy. Not to slog. And the young lads, are, young lads in the team, they're gonna make mistakes. You know, they're gonna they're gonna misplace a pass or hit the wrong diagonal ball or go out play. It's League One. You know, it's gonna happen. You know, but. Uh, yeah so it's just uh, interesting times ahead isn't it So it's a drawn yeah. one one every
2: well week. that's the well, thing
0: with the draws I, when I was uh, who did we have we had Paolo Sosa came in from uh, a, a Swansea yeah and he was tactical mad because he's basically from the Italian background and Juventus yeah, and all the rest of, course. of it and we must have had I think we had a record in the championship 10 draws in a row yeah and with the stick we were getting we were getting booed for fun but he was like going, oh, what's wrong with these fans he said, in Italy, these are great results. He said, 0-0, 1-1, 0-0, 1-1. He said, that's fantastic. What's wrong with them? You know, so he, he couldn't believe it. He yeah. was saying, oh, they don't know. They don't have a clue. They don't know what they're talking about. But again, you can understand the fans are just thinking, oh, bored down my mind here. Because Swansea was just possession, possession, possession. That's it. All they cared about was keeping the ball and hoping the other team would get really tired. And one or two players would switch off and he'd play through the lines and, and then get would score. But it was always... Yeah. That was kind of what the the mentality was there. It is annoying. Like I can understand it. You know, it's it's you just always want to see you wins. want action. Yeah. You know, like I, I, if you, if you look at Sunderland even now, if you said to them, would you would you want to what type of football do you want to play? Like, what do the fans want to see? Like, do they want a possession based team? Do they want a counter attacking team, or do they want a defensive type of a team? I don't even know. I don't even know what they want. No, same. Do you know what they want? I don't know.
2: Once that score, lots of goals. Well, yeah. <laughs> Just, oh, no, <laughs> would, any which way, because we had yeah. it pass under Poyet, yeah. we had the counter attack Nando O'Neill. Yeah. We had, well, I'm not sure what Jack Ross is doing at the moment. It seemed to be possession at first and attacking football, and then yeah. it sort of changed. I think, I think the thing with Sunderland is put the ball in the back of the net, win games, and yeah.
0: oh, we don't care how we yeah. play, it once
2: we win. Some uh, holidays football was yeah. the best we've seen in yeah. a while, and that yeah, says everything. Nice.
0: Yeah, But I think you know, I mean, when I think I keep going about Martinez, a Swansea right, but this guy came in right, and this is League One, and he said we're going to pass teams off the pitch, and we're going to average something like seven, eight hundred passes a game. I'm going to show you how we're going to do it. And we were looking at them, going, "This guy's going to be sacked five yeah. games, League One, and he wants us to pass the ball about." Thinking, no chance, this is going to work. And the fans weren't used to that type of... I think the fans aren't going to like this type of football either. So they got used to it after a while. After like four or five games, we, drawed it, we drew a few games, but we were just keeping the ball. And the fans were just quiet. They were kind of making up their mind whether they're going to go with it or not, you know. And then at, when we started grinding teams down and, and, and the quality started coming and we started scoring the goals to add to it, and we started obviously tearing up through the through the leagues the fans loved it. yeah. So they could never change now. So the the Swansea fans now, it's all about culture. Like if you look at Mm -hmm. it, if you went down to Swansea now and started playing Sam Allardyce football, fans would be uproar, it'd be riots. They'd hate it because they love seeing this type of football they play now. Do you know what I mean? So I I think at Sunderland, I would have loved to see someone like that come in at some stage. I know in the Premier League, say someone like a Brendan Rodgers or someone to come in because I think that type of manager would probably change the culture of the whole place, yeah. club, how fans, like, the perception of how they, they want to be seen the how you play football. Like, you have to convince them that this is the way you want to play and you should enjoy it because, and then it, add all the bits and bobs to it. But there's very few managers that are that good to do it. Yeah. So, I think someone like, uh, I would have loved him to see Brandon Brendan Rogers here. I hope he comes in the future. I hope,
2: he's he's Unbelievable my family's all Rangers fans on the other Are side they? so I have Ooh, to uh, look at that
0: look he <laughs> gave me there look. You guess, uh, I know yeah get him out get him out but, but um, no like he is he, like I've just I've seen him I mean I've surprise surprise I was injured down there for two years with a hip injury I used to just watch him train and watch watch what he did and all the rest of it I was just thinking this guy's absolutely light years ahead yeah even then you know like two thousand and what was it 10 2010 11 he was probably 10 years ahead even then you know with the stuff he was doing so I would have just loved in Sunderland a massive club like this with all the facilities and everything they have if they had that type of person in place probably while when they were in the Premier League and all yeah, the rest of it of course probably should have busted gut probably to get
2: one. now, but never works that easy yeah. it? but no
0: more Swansea yeah. stories or else I'm barred I'm kicked out of here
2: alright <laughs> no, trying to thank you very much for coming on Tommy mate no, you really appreciate great. it, it
0: really enjoyed it really enjoyed it thanks for having me on and uh, cheers Perfect. mate
2: awesome thank you.
1: Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport, 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.